With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Prime afternoon to add to that total, and there it is. Left field, long gone. Another home run. The Brewers have two this inning and grab an early 3-0 lead against Jose Quintana. Craig Council, he's done it again. Look at that one fly. Second home run and as many at-bats. And Ryan Braun gives Milwaukee a 5-0 advantage. Hear a boo in the background there of uh, Jose Quintana there. Yeah. Is. Manny and I both said the same thing, man. Uh, Effin Quintana. But, uh, roll, man. They were saying it for a different reason in Wrigley, <laughs> Wrigley Field today. Uh, Quintana got ripped up. He's been pretty, he's had a couple of good games, but he's been pretty rotten. What was interesting is uh, Ryan Braun before today was three for 21 against him. I uh, hadn't hadn't hit him at all, but he just, he laid two of them right in the middle of the plate and Braun killed both of them. Uh, not what he was, obviously, image-wise or anything else. Uh, 2011, he was uh, 33 home runs, 111 RBIs, beat out Matt Kemp for the MVP. 2011, right? That was his MVP. Yes. Next year, he went 41 and 112, and then we found out he was on steroids. Now he he beat the steroid thing once, right? Because he got the 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 vial had been left and uh, yeah, did we blame the mailman? We blamed yeah, we, the mailman. Yeah, mail like the handler was but then they, didn't they, handle it properly. They and he threw uh, him under got the bus. him. Uh, they got him again, and uh, turned out he was uh, he was a steroid cheater. And it it in night in 2013 he served the suspension and only played in 61 games. And uh, you know what? He had a whole lot to do with the, uh, to me, the suspension going from 50 games to 80, don't you think? That a uh, player that important got the suspension yeah. uh, raised from uh, 50 games to 80. and Because uh, well, it was him and wasn't it Melky when they, when Melky was still kind of an all-star? Weren't they around Melky, the same time? Yeah, and Melky got to play in the post. Wasn't Melky playing in the postseason? No, remember he, he could have, but and the Giants had, elected not to not put to him on play, the playoff yeah, roster. Right. Yep. Uh, anyway, he, uh, the fact that he's still with the Braves is amazing. Uh, this year he's got 14 home runs and, uh, 46 RBIs hitting about 255. Obviously not what he was. How old is he now? Uh, he, he was early thirties, man. He's, uh, first game is 24 years old when he played his first game, 1983. So, uh, he's, uh, he's 35, yeah. 30, 
He'll be 35 in November. And I, the looking up, the, both the Baseball Almanac page and his wiki page said his nickname is the Hebrew Hammer. Did you ever hear that? No. I have never, never heard, heard that. Who came up with the Hebrew Hammer? I like it, though. Well, you know, I mean, it's a little ethnic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's a... Uh, what, are we supposed to be alarmed that there's a Jew playing in uh, Major League Baseball? Uh, you ever hear of Sandy Koufax? The Hebrew Hammer. Sean or, Green was or the other, the other one, right? nickname they suggest is Ocho because he wears number eight. No! no. I haven't heard that either. Nope. I, if you got a nickname, I have to have heard of it. Yeah, I, yes, exactly. Else it's not your nickname. A lot of fans have comes. given him nicknames. You think Bobby Ubeck, Uker has ever said, here comes the Hebrew Hammer? Actually... Maybe I probably right. could believe you yeah, dropping that one in. Could have done that. Uh, he had a little audio, by the way, after the game today. My heart, and I would bet my life that this substance never entered my body at any point. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. okay. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. But now that I've been accused, I might as well start using it. Uh, so I got <laughs> okay. It is amazing why they don't say no comment. He got the big contract, though, based on his steroid performances because you know what he's making this year 20 the last three years of this long-term deal he's making 20 20 and 20 there was a rumor that and this was i think before the dodgers became the perennial power in the national league that they wanted him but they Mm -hmm. didn't they didn't want to take on all the money and milwaukee wasn't willing to trade him and eat some of the salary i remember that rumor a couple years ago say this i'd rather watch ryan brown and the brewers take bp than the twins what is is going on special broadcast uh for an hour before the game of the twins taking bp why I think to create excitement. Okay. Except I looked up and I love this guy. Okay. I I think he's great. But Bobby Wilson was taking BP. Oh, we got to get that. I'm not going to sit here (laughs) fixated on Bobby Wilson taking it. Could you imagine the dad that's at home right now with the kid and he says, Mm -hmm. you know what, Billy? We were going to stay home tonight, but damn it, get in the car. I just watched Bobby take some BP. I remember going on my early years traveling with the twins. Uh, and the Red Sox took BP in a very strange way. They would, a guy would hit for five minutes. He did, they didn't pop, jump in and jump out of the cage. You know, Jim Rice would take five minutes of BP. Freddie Lynn would take five minutes of BP. That's when they had the lineup when Butch Hobson was hitting ninth. This was later and, and, and drove in a hundred runs. Uh, you know, that was a pretty good lineup. The one that choked. Right. And, uh, they'd take BP and then our, and Lynn in five minutes had hit 12 home runs and Rice in five minutes had hit 14 home runs because he'd hit them over the wall. And, and they'd probably hit that lineup. They'd probably hit 110 home runs in BP. The Twins had hit three. I remember going <laughs> watching them saying, you know, Bobby Darwin might hit. This was after Bobby Darwin. Bobby wasn't there anymore. So they had nobody who could hit home run. And they did like, please, the Reds, I go, boom, boom. You'd say, gee, I wonder who's going to win the right. race. You know, although 77, I was in there with the Twins and they got 35 hits in a doubleheader and beat them twice. Really? 24 hits in the opener. Then they got 11 more. You they said t- 35 in a 35 double header? 35 hits in a double header. Wow. Um, you, could, you could check it, but I got it. 35 hits on a double header. They peppered that wall because they had Carew, Heisel, and Bostock. Oh, sure. Okay. Know? And Bostock hit it that way. Rodney hit it that way. And then Heisel pulled it. Remember, what, what year was it 
just a short time ago where the Twins got just vilified for attempting to charge extra. Remember that story? Oh, BP, you for for batting and, practice. Yeah, 15 when, bucks. Because that was about five years ago, yeah, right? 15 Something like bucks. that. Now you can watch it for free on FSN. <laughs> lucky dogs. I did see that uh, they did post a stat that Logan Forsyth is apparently hitting like 405. Oh, oh yeah. boy, let's get just some. And Dozier's got uh, bad EKG. Uh, once again, proving the genius of the uh, new administration. That's right. We'll be back. <laughs> Row of ball talk. Play ball. Here's legendary pitcher and broadcaster Jim Cott on the ride with Royce. Jim, that's a little distressing news about Brian Dozier that uh, he's going to have to have a little more of a heart checkup after a bad EKG after his uh, dizziness last night. Yeah, that is. That's sad. It uh, kind of puts the game of baseball in perspective one of the indians outfielders i think oh is, yeah uh, leonis martin uh, had, they said he had a bacterial infection and almost killed him yeah well i had a friend here in vermont that had that a uh, bacteria got into his heart and uh, boy he was he was touch and go for a long time he's okay now but uh yeah that that kind of puts uh much as we you know <laughs> jaw back and forth about the game because we love the game but it does put it in perspective that was uh, i've been rooting for the nats you know i'd love to see washington go to the uh, world series for the first time since 1933 now they did not have a, a team there for a lot of years but uh that one in the wrigley field the other night took care of them i think wow well i just sent out a tweet you know i said baseball is the only business probably that pays its warm-up act more than the main attraction, which are late-game heroics. Yes. They pay big money, $25 million, $30 million to the starters just to kind of warm up the audience, and then all the action <laughs> happens when they're gone. Yeah. And uh, I guess my feelings toward the Nationals, I understand your sentiment, but I kind of lost my, uh, my love for them when they uh, – when they took Strasburg out of the rotation, yeah. they had a yeah. legitimate chance to go, and it's like, well, we'll get back again. And I, I know enough about that from when we got there <laughs> yeah. in 65, and I, we had a good team. I said, well, we'll get back. And then 17 years later, I finally did get back in my last year. But uh, they're a mystery, those Nationals. When you look at the individual players, and, and I know they've had some bullpen issues, but uh, – they just don't seem to be getting it done. I mean, who'd have thought this time of the year we'd be talking about Atlanta and Oakland maybe printing a World Series tickets? <laughs> Boy, that, Oakland, that, that Atlanta's got some athletes. Oof. They do, and, I, and I've been trying to follow the Oakland A's a bit, too. Oh, and, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of playing with house money. Nobody expects them, but they need to do anything. But they really have some good young talent and then this uh, Blake Trinan comes in man he has been some closer uh, yeah, I watched him finish off a couple games lately so you know they might be there to stay of course September's a whole different month when uh man, you start to sense what's at the finish line then you know it, not every team gets comfortable man he was just pointing out to us how much that Oakland team strikes out though man talk about a hit hit the ball out of the park or uh, or uh, strike out uh, that is a uh, unbelievable lineup the way they're striking out well they fit the mold don't they yeah. i mean that's kind of the modern game uh, strike out walk home run and all the analytics geniuses say it's easier to score 
you know, a run with one swing instead of sticking around trying to put three together. I'm glad that uh, Tito Francona doesn't feel that way. He's got some guys can put it in play like Brantley, Ramirez, and Lindor, and he still and they steal bases and they run the bases well. So they still play a little more what we would call traditional baseball than just wail and bail and hope you hit a couple out. Hey, Jim, uh, I know there wasn't a pitch limit when you pitched. I know Scherzer was, I guess, 115 or something, and they took him out after pitching great. What, uh, it was, was there any, did anybody even know how many pitches had been thrown? Uh, when you, if you would have went pitched eight innings like that, would have anybody, and you pitched 100, thrown 130 innings, would anybody even known it? We never found out till the day after, mm-hmm. you know. And I, in fact, I have the box score of the game two of the World Series. I never, I never knew it was a complete game. I threw 108. Uh, I've thrown anywhere I think from 75 to 150 in a nine inning game, and then there were several extra inning games uh, which ended up being complete games. But the next day's starting pitcher kept this chart mm-hmm. of uh, the different pitches and where the hitter hit the ball. And then the next day you would find out, okay, you threw uh, 112 pitches and so many of them were fastballs, so many of them were strikes. So you reviewed it, but nobody kept track, um, uh, you know, during the game. Now, Timmy McCarver said, and I was talking to Bob Gibson about this also, that they had a pitching coach named Howie Paulette back in the 60s. Yeah, I remember him. I remember getting his baseball card. (laughs) Yeah, a left-hand pitcher. And and Gibby was saying they did count pitches. He was up to 180 wide or something. Well, I used to go in and ask ask Herbie Carneal, you know, because Herbie kept kept pitches, and I'd go in. But as as a reporter, I never kept my own. But I'd go in, Herbie, how many pitches is that guy throwing just out of of curiosity? Well, you know, the, the, the pitch count thing, and when I coached, what I would pay attention to, and I told Pete Rose, you know, if a guy had, if he labored in some early innings, mm-hmm. like the late Del Wilbur, I don't know if yeah. you remember that name. He was my sure. AAA manager, and he said, I'll let you work out of two jams. Oh, really? But when you get in that third one, he said, then I'm not too comfortable, so I'm not making a move. But it wasn't counting pitches. It was, you know, how stressful were the early innings. Did you labor through the early innings, bases loaded, two on? Now, all of a sudden, when you get to the fifth inning, yeah. you probably already pitched the equivalent of eight. So you pay attention to that. But if a guy is cruising along, like Scherzer and Mad Bum and Kershaw, yeah. they're cruising along. And in Kershaw's case last night, I mean, they don't have Kenley Jansen anymore. So I had said, boy, if... if uh, if I'm the pitching coach, I stop counting pitches after the seventh <laughs> inning, and then when they say how many he's got, I say 85. He's got plenty left. Uh, <laughs> what uh, did? Uh, let's say you threw 132, 33. Would you would you sometimes skip the throwing between starts, or uh, you know, I mean, no, did I you feel the difference? What, what we did when you had a short start, and unfortunately, I had several of those is we would pitch batting practice between starts. (laughs) You know, you'd go three innings or something, or Sam would say, now look, they got a couple lefties there, so instead of doing your throwing between starts, why don't you go down to the bullpen in case I need you, and then if you don't, come in. And there were even cases, I remember in 67, I got off to a horrible start, and uh, then Sam was let go, and Cal Irmer came in, and I... We had a game against the White Sox. We were getting blown out, and I had told uh, Cal, I said, look, if uh, 
I'm pretty sure Cal was still manager was the manager then, not Sam. I said, if it's a blowout game, I'd love to pitch a couple innings near the end of the game and and see if I can't get straightened out. Huh. Well, I think I was one and eight, and I went in and I gave up like two home runs to Tommy McCraw, a home run to Gary Peters. I gave up a ton of runs, but I kind of found something, and then I ended the season sixteen and thirteen. Yeah. So. Those well, kind of, you know, going in in those situations can be helpful, but we never thought of uh, of counting pitches or restricting a pitcher because of pitches. Well, my favorite baseball moment of uh, recent years is Baumgartner pitching those five innings of relief uh, when he came in against Kansas City, and Boshi never looked at him, and he never looked at Baumgartner. No. Boshi wasn't well, going to go over and still, say, yeah. Boshi wasn't going to go over and say, you okay. He was waiting for Baumgartner, <laughs> and they, they, they just finished the game. It's kind of like Jack in Game 7 and yeah. 91, and uh, <laughs> I think Randy Johnson did it, too, the year the yeah. uh, yeah, the Diamondbacks won, but yeah, I mean, Mad Bum, he he's a throwback. He's a big old strong country boy, and and I, I know they took him out the other. They keep using that. Well, we're going to protect our pitcher. Well, there's no scientific evidence that limiting pitches has saved a pitcher's arm. You just never know when that injury or an injury is going to come. The best you can do is learn to throw. No, no, not overthrow. And I think like the Red Sox now with Sale, they're doing a smart thing because he strikes out so many guys. Yeah. And uh, and he's a max effort every pitch. So now the other night, twelve strikeouts, five innings, they got a big lead. They're they're going to give him a lot of extra days so he isn't worn out like he was last year when they went to the uh, to the postseason. Jim Cotts with it, and I was just going to say that I, I suspected when they put him on the DL for 10 days, it was just to freshen him up, and it appears that was that's the case. A, that's a 10-day vacation. <laughs> yeah, I don't, he sure didn't pitch the other night like he had any traces of shoulder inflammation. I mean, they couldn't hit him. It was just... <laughs> 50 games over, Jim. You're up there in New England. What do they think of this team? 50 games over. Well, uh, ironically, uh, I mean, it's the fact that you mentioned that some of my buddies uh, at the golf club today in, in New England, there's just about all Red Sox fans. There is a smattering of Yankee fans, but uh, my friend Eddie Shotwell, he's been following <laughs> the Red Sox for like 80 years since he was a young boy, and he said, this is the best team they've ever had, and, and I think he's right. I'd say the only, <laughs> when I watched him, the only area where, I don't know if Cora uh, is Alex Cora is completely comfortable. Is that eighth inning? Now there's Thornburg's coming on, but they still have a tendency to walk a few guys, and and uh, they haven't been, you know, ironclad perfect in the late innings of games. And you sort of assume that in the postseason those are going to be close games, but that's really the only area that. Uh, that they don't excel at every position. Actually, when you look at the overall numbers, their bullpen's been very good, uh, better than good. But then when you get into postseason, how how good are they against the best-hitting teams in the eighth inning of a close game? That's what we have to see. Hey, Jim, uh, playing golf today, did you hit any of those 248-yard four-irons straight as a string up there to the par three? Did you hit any of those? No, I, I... I hit a driver and a five iron, and then I was at 248 <laughs> yeah, well, yards. <laughs> that's the damnedest shot I ever saw that Kepka hit uh, to uh, oh, tell boy, Tiger he, that he wasn't well, going to win like this. I so much. I was, I was happy that my uh, friend 
Warren Bakke got quite a shout out. I called uh, Warren yesterday because I didn't realize that he taught Brooks Kepka. You know, he's been teaching down there at Abacoa for like 17 years, but Kepka was very outspoken about, hey, I learned the game from a PGA pro, Warren Bakke. <laughs> And, and so I was I was happy to see Warren get that credit. The uh, Kepka's pretty special because he doesn't roll his eyes or whine or <laughs> wonder if the ball took a bad hop. He just plays a shot, goes on to the next one, and man, he is he is tough and talented. What did I tell you guys a couple of weeks ago? Jim Cott has never been stumped. I brought up Brooks Kepka, and he knows the pro. Well, and actually, actually, Brooks Brooks' brother Chase, who was there to yeah. give him a hug, Warren said that he was actually a better player as a junior. And Chase is now playing, I think, uh, some mini tour events. So, and his dad uh, has been a low handicap golfer for years. So, even though Brooks, I think, liked baseball better than golf, uh, and still is a big baseball fan, but uh, the whole family is talented golfers. You are the greatest, sir, and we'll do this again maybe a couple of times before September seventh. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry it's going to come to an end, but I'd, I'd love to do it as often as you want. You just give me a call. All right, Jim. Thank you. Uh, all right, Patrick. All right, care. the great Jim Cott. He knows Warren Bupka. <laughs> Unbelievable! I throw out a smart ass line about him in a 248. Yard four iron, and he knows the guy that taught the guy how to hit it. You can't tell me you're shocked in any way. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I'm uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm allowed to be impressed. We'll be back. Johnny Hyde with a rapid fire sports update. Thank Johnny, you, I got a little. Uh, yeah. I got one thing I wanted to mention here. Uh-huh. The uh, the new uh, woman who's the weather person for Ren Ren Claire Ren Claire and the first coach of the Minnesota North Stars and general manager was Ren Blair. Yeah, and oh. they're the only two Rens I've ever met in my life. So I never got drunk with Ren Claire. However, <laughs> I, I did get knee walking with Ren Blair. Knee walking, knee walking. Here is I'll tell you that story. The night Augie and I were in in Ren Blair's office at five a.m. Oh my God, Ricey, where the bleep is Webster? Talking hockey and other drunken issues. Uh, here's uh, Johnny. Yes, uh, before we get to my uh, short sports well, report, you better I, get to it. Reaver has played that song because Mr. Olson yeah. over there was screaming it in the hallway, yeah. singing it. It was yes. driving me nuts. <laughs> Evidently, they're appearing in Lake Minnetonka tonight. What? Somewhere. Yeah, that's what Skinner Julie. Is. That's what Julie said. Yeah. Julie Let's started open it all. to the public. No, I don't think so. Probably a private deal. Private party. Uh, tw- a very good southern band at the zoo. In fact, Mr. Reavers now will be yeah, there. Very smoke. Black you guys smoke, are heading so. out there. Uh, get an autograph for me. Wait. John, well, give me 10 seconds of news. Uh, okay. Twins are playing tonight. Yes. <laughs> Jake Odorizzi at Target Field for the Twins and Jameson Tyon for the Pirates. I'm betting uh, Jake allows one home run, at least. And goes, sure. and goes yeah. five and a third? Yeah, he will. Yeah. If he goes six, we're going to have a parade. <laughs> Adrian Heath show tonight at six o'clock. That's only twenty five really minutes right away. Here. Right wow. here, mm-hmm. okay. right after good. the ride on fifteen hundred. Is he in good mood or bad mood? ESPN. I wonder. He uh, should. They, we'll find out. They had a tie last night, right? Did they? Uh, I, I don't. A remember. draw. Excuse me. I a call d- it a tie. A dr- a draw. Slap my finger. <laughs> <A draw. laughs> I wish I knew what you guys were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Kenny's all barking orders okay. over here. I know. I'm watching hey, both of you guys. Yeah, John, that was a really good. That update. was wow. fantastic. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'm going to save that one much. for my tape, okay? <laughs> was, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can always go back to Mandan. <laughs> Probably not after that. Bob Harry, uh, ESPN golf columnist, is with us. Uh, two days after Belle Reve ended in a amazing fashion. Uh, Tiger is more popular right now than when he was winning every other major. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I think it's because there's a whole a whole new generation of people that, um, you know, get a chance to see it for the first time. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, uh, never had a chance to watch or follow, or obviously the last five years has been pretty bleak. And uh, now for the first time, they're getting to... Uh, see it themselves, you know, and uh, and I think to them it's pretty exciting. Obviously, uh, when he when he when he performs as he has here recently, uh, certainly from a noise level, uh, it seemed like a young vibe at St. Louis. You had a lot of twenty five and unders out there running around, huh? Watching golf, yeah, yeah. It was a big. Um, they, I don't know what it was. Uh, they let in a lot of people, or you know, if they just had more room. It just seemed. Uh, bigger, you know, it, it was a lot like team for the Ryder Cup actually up there. You know, just uh, a, a, a really enthusiastic group, and um, you know, it, it's a, the market that hasn't had golf either, which helps. Uh, you know, they, they don't have a regular tour stop in St. Louis. Um, they don't even have a Champions Tour event. Uh, and uh, it's been a long time since they've had a major, over 25 years. They did have a tour event 10 years ago, the BMW. Uh, so I think, you know, you add all those things in, and it makes for a, uh, you know, quite the, quite the week of spectating. Uh, you know, uh, we won't see it again for a while, but it looks like if, it, if, it, uh, if it's not soaked and uh, allows them to shoot it right at the pin, that it's, it's a very, fairly worthy golf course if, 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 if the greens aren't as easy as they were. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the the, the 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 weather conditions, the, the rain is, is, is unfortunate, and um, that you know that that took some of the fire out of the course. I think they would always much rather have it be dry and fast, uh, but it made for some real long rough, and it made for some long holes. Um, you know, we saw like what would happen with Tiger when he missed a fairway; he was having a long way in, and having a hard time getting it there. And even on some of the other holes where he felt like he had to lay back, you know, he's having 200-yard approach shots to par fours, uh, you know, sometimes longer. I mean, that's you and me. We, that's a back to par fours, not those guys. Yep. Uh, but, um, uh, but because, you know, sometimes he felt like he had to hit an iron off the tee, the ball's not going anywhere, and a 490-yard par, <laughs> par four, even if you hit it out there, you know, 290, you've still got 200 left. So um, uh, that's that's where you know where some difficulty came in. Uh, although being able to fire at flags like they were really does make make the whole thing a little bit easier. Hey Bob, uh, it, it's funny. Uh, I mean, he hit. He's hitting some miraculous shots with confidence. He's got fantastic confidence, and then he puts that driver in his hand, and it's 2080 against him. It's unbelievable. Uh, where he puts himself yeah, with the driver now. When he, yeah, you know, I was saying yesterday, I'm talking to Mark Wicker yesterday, and okay, 
this was the old tiger, except the old tiger didn't have to hit this many shots out of the trees uh, to to uh, keep it going. Well, you know, he's never he's never been great at driving accuracy, except maybe going back to like two thousand, two thousand one, yeah. when his his percentage was was better. You know, he he hit more fairways then, uh, but it was never off the charts. It was never like sixty five, seventy percent. It was always in the in the high fifties, low sixties. He barely hits half. Yeah. And, and what's what what makes it worse is he is he's hitting he's missing them with irons. You know he missed he missed four fairways with irons on wow. Sunday, including that one on fourteen. That was a killer. The one on fourteen. You know he just birdied thirteen. He was right there, and then he drives it in the rough with an iron, and that was the hole where he had the long par putt that lived out. But I mean he should have never been in position to have a long par putt. He, because he was in the rough off the tee with an iron, he had no chance to get to the green. Now he's got to play like a 60, 70, 80-yard approach shot for his third, uh, which he actually has been great at getting those up and down. But it's just not a way to make a living. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. Uh, so in addition to the driver being uh, not great, it's, it's sort of you know disturbing that he, that he has these moments where he misses fairways with iron. Happened to him at the Open, the 11th yeah, hole right. on Sunday after he took the lead. That was an iron off the tee. Same with 12, and I, so and he, that's the holy bogey. So you know it, it, he's got to get the driver straightened out, but he's just got to get his driving in general off the tee straightened out. I used to say the harder the golf course, the uh, more dominant he was, and that's no no longer true. I think he likes the easier golf courses now, where it's you know that that there's not the premium on accuracy. Uh, Carnoustie was, yeah. you know, he didn't have to hit many drivers at Carnoustie, and uh, and this golf course because of the softness was not as hard as it could have been. Yeah, I I, I sort of disagree with you. I I was surprised that he scared as well in the tournament where he had to make a lot of birdies. Yeah, um, you know, I, I still think he's far better off a tournament. Carnoustie still the winning score was eight under, yeah. and Tiger was five under. You know, I mean, this one, uh, 16 under wins, and he's 14 under. Um, that's, you know, he made eight birdies on Sunday. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. that's... Unbelievable. Uh, you know, even even with an easier course, I'm not cons- I'm not convinced he can always do that. Uh, because, you you know, there, there's... When the course is easier, that lets more people in. Uh, guys who aren't as good, uh, you know, have a chance to... It becomes more of a putting contest, which he's not going to win these days. So, um, uh, but it, I thought it was a good sign that he, that he could that he could make a lot of birdies. I mean, he's going to have some courses coming up where that's going to be the case. I mean, uh, uh, the tournament in Boston is one where they typically go low, uh, and uh, you know, he and if anything, he's been a little bit too afraid to to, to be aggressive, and maybe now he he realizes that that it's something that isn't going to hurt him so much if he is. Bob Herrig's with us, ESPN uh, golf uh, uh, commentator and uh, columnist. Hey, Bob, uh, Kepka, when the Ryder Cup was here, and he was part of the greatest golf team ever assembled, in my opinion. Uh, but you would say, and they got this guy and this guy and this guy, and they got and they got that Kepka guy too, and he's not too bad. But uh, he was, you know, he had a hard time cracking the lineup in the uh, in the doubles portion of it and the team portion of it, and. Uh, Boy, two years later, he's as good as anybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kepka hadn't done much in in 2016. 
he had a he had a single win at that point on the PGA Tour and one on the European Tour, and now look at him—you know, three majors later. Um, the guy's got a lot of firepower, and uh, I think he's going to be a huge step for them over there because uh, you know he he showed a lot of nerve the other day. He he, uh, um, you know, that was that was pressure to the extreme, and I can imagine that 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 Ryder Cup pressure would be any worse if he can hold up to, to what he did on Sunday uh, I think the Ryder Cup will be he, he ought to thrive in that and uh, so uh, you know good for him I mean they and they need they need that frankly you know the uh, as great as that 2016 team was and a lot of those guys are going to be back um, I don't know that it means that much you know they are not necessarily going to be uh, you know Spieth is a little off right now. Uh, Kuchar's not expected to, well, he may or may not get on that team. Uh, you know, Bubba is, a, is sort of up and down. You never know what you're going to get from him. So I think it's fascinating again, even even with um, a lot of strong players on the U.S. side. I've been telling all my golfing friends that they got to start working on hitting that 248-yard four-iron straight as a string, and their games will be a whole lot better. Wouldn't that be nice? That was, uh, I think that was, what, the 16th hole, yes. and, and at that point, Tiger had closed it within one, and, you know, he just ripped that thing up on the green like it was nothing. You know, it I mean, uh, that's not supposed to be that easy. You know, and he did it and, and, and made the birdie uh, and, and actually, you know, gave himself the breathing room there. Uh, uh, you know, he added another birdie. He, he added one on 17. I believe, but but in any case, he he um, you know he just he just to be impervious to all what was going on around him. Hey, you mentioned Spieth. What's uh, what? The, I know he's not making putts like he used to, but he's I know I, he's never been the greatest driver for distance or accuracy. But man, he's he's just not hitting it good. Yeah, he's not, and he and I think another thing that's going on is when he was at his best. And, and has been at his best. Even you know he he's missed putts throughout, but he's not making the the ones that that aren't automatic, but seemed automatic for him. Yeah. Um. You know, from 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 ten to fifteen feet, I believe the percentage is like the guys only make like thirty thirty five percent of those. Uh. And but he seems to make more like sixty percent of them. And so whenever you looked up and you saw rolling one in from 15 or 18 feet, you thought, man, he just never misses those. Well, he, he does, but he just made more than everybody else. And those are huge difference makers in a round. I mean, you're not going to always knock it inside the feet. Uh, but, man, when you can make that many 15-footers, it really helps. And I don't think he's making those. He misses a, he misses a, uh, a fair number of short putts, probably more than, than other players, but kind of along the lines of what he did. And then he, you know, if he gets out of position on the course, which we seem to see more and more, then all of a sudden it leads to um, kind of these, you know, these these mediocre rounds. I mean, the final round at Carnegie was tied to the lead. He didn't make a birdie. Yeah. You know, now look, he played really well to get in that position, and he played well at the Masters this year, uh, but he hasn't really contended other than that. You know, so he's clearly working through issues, and um, you know, so that's. That going there's a little bit of a question mark there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does now in these next couple of uh, playoff events. 
Hey, Bob, uh, who's uh, of the great ones, of the seven or eight, and, uh, you know, the, the greatest players that are out there right now, who's the best putter? Now, it comes and goes. Obviously, putting's a come-and-go thing, but who's who's the best putter out there now? You know what? It's hard to not think of Kepka. Yeah. How many how many four- and five-footers did he make for par? Yeah. You know, I mean, he just, or, you know, he, he sometimes he'd have a, Long um, birdie putt, 50, 60 feet, and you roll it up there to five feet. There's no way that's guaranteed and he makes it. Or he missed a green and he hits a chip up there to five or six feet and he, and he makes it. If anything, you know, is the, the one part of his game that, that he's really been working to, to improve is the chipping. And, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't knock them up there all the time to automatic range, you know, to the two footers. Leaves himself some par putts. Man, he seems to make them all. He made them all at Shinnecock, too. So, uh, you know, it's hard to not look at him. Those are the pressure putts. The stats might not say that he's the best putter, but anecdotally, you look at that and you go, man, it's, it's hard. I'd want that guy putting for me, I think, uh, with, the, with the crucial knee knock around the line. As an observer from a distance... And seeing uh, what happened at Bell Reeve with the kind of the desperation, this is the last major. I think it's a big mistake that the PGA Championship is moving from August to May. Right, to be now, it's the now it's sort of the preliminary to the Masters instead of man. I know it's always been the fourth major, but I don't think it's it, it's been that way for a long time because they've had so many great tournaments. I, I don't, I think they're making a mistake. There's nothing they can do about it, but I, I'm, I don't like, well, it. you know, here, here's how, here's, here's one way to look at it. I mean, certainly, you know, it's one of the four and, and anybody who says, well, it's the fourth out of the four. I mean, I can assure you that, that Jack Nicholas appreciates his spot. GA is just <laughs> as much as he does all the 13 other major wins. Uh, he doesn't rank them that way. Uh, but um, the one thing that I think that's been bad for the PGA is it comes so close after the Open. Yeah. I mean, you had guys that were taking Monday off that hadn't seen the golf course, that were playing nine-hole practice rounds and barely prepared for it. I mean, it, it, was, it was out of necessity. They just, you know, they, have, they had a big tournament the week before. That was just two weeks after the Open. At some point, you've got to... You know, I just think it does the tournament a disservice. So if we move it to May, it'll be five weeks after the Masters. Guys will have plenty of time to kind of uh, cool down and then warm back up for it. I would guess most players will have a chance to then go look at the venue in advance. Next year it's at Bethpage. I, I just think it makes the spacing a little bit better. And uh, if you think of the Players' Championship three weeks before the Masters, as another big one, and then playoffs in, in August next year. You know, you have kind of, the, of a, a defined six months for yeah. the casual fan to kind of get interested in golf. You've got the, the players in March, and then you've got the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, the Open, and then the playoffs. I realize golf won't end. It'll still start back up in September. We'll have all fall and all spring. But at least it gives us a defined season that isn't so rushed uh, you know, from one major to the other. Um, there will be issues, though, you know, weather issues in the spring and that sort of thing. But um, I'm sort of willing to give it a try and see how it looks.
Hey, Bob, uh, thanks much, uh, and we'll uh, be talking to you again, hopefully before the Tour Championship. And br- I was just going to say, bring a windbreaker to uh, Beth Page next year in, uh, in May, <laughs> just in case it uh, could get a little owly. Thank you, sir. Very good. All right. Thanks a lot, Patrick. See you later. Bob Herring, ESPN. Uh, more golf talk. Uh, we kind of wrapping up the golf talk here as we get ready for football because that was such a wonderful PGA Championship.